right, at this time, the children are dismissed to their Sunday school classes. Glad you could be here. We are going to be having our evening or our Thanksgiving or our holiday, whatever this has turned into. We're going to do that tonight. I would, uh, certainly, I invite you to join us. There'll be always plenty of food. Um, and I want to say thank you. Uh, we have almost twice as many of our boxes of food, our meals going out this year. I appreciate all of you who have input and, and let me know of families in the community and around about uh, who are in need so that we can deliver those meals uh, and hopefully uh, share a little bit of Christ with them. All right, with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, uh, I thank you for the opportunity to open your word this morning. And we pray again for many today who are struggling with various and sundry things. And we just pray now, Father, that you would help us to focus, to be right here where our feet are, to hear your word, to be changed by your spirit, to the glory of your name. I pray for your help, Father, in doing so this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It's always hard to let someone else have control. I think of when I was younger, um, right after graduating from high school, I eventually decided I wanted to go to Bible college. Of course, not a bad thing, uh, but I had to ask my parents. It was the right thing to do, and so I did, and they promptly said no. It was very hard to let them have control of that decision. Of course, six months later, they said yes. I don't think anybody who uh, has ever had an hourly job has had the experience, everybody who's had an hourly job has had the experience of having to go to the person who controls the schedule and complain about their schedule. I know that I'm slowly approaching the day when I will get in my car and one of my children will have control of the steering wheel. A couple of my kids scare me. In a day when you can Google every single one of your symptoms, it's hard to let a doctor take care of a loved one. I remember when our youngest was born, the doctor had to stop what he was doing because I had irritated him so much and turned and reminded me he was the one with the medical degree. In the 24-hour news cycle that we live in, it can be scary to be reminded that there are certain people in control of the levers of government. Now, sometimes we get deceived into thinking that if we just had a little more control our lives would be better. We might think to ourselves, you know, if I could go back in time, I would have studied harder for that test. I would have had a really good comeback for that person who bullied me. I would have made sure I didn't steal that candy bar. And if I could just do one of those things, my life would be so much better. Or we think if we could just simply control the future. If we could control the future, we would make sure that everything turned out how we romanticize it to be. We would get a soft, falling snow on Christmas Day, but not one that's inconvenient. We would make sure that all of the food that we prepared would come out just like Julia Child showed us to do it. And if you don't know that reference, just think of Gordon Ramsay. We would know that everybody who came to our house would get along. Oh, how happy our lives would be if we simply had a little more control. 
And if you don't think that's the case with you, consider how scared you get in the moments of life where you are confronted with the fact that you don't have any. This Christmas season, I told you, I wanted to take you through these first 17 verses in Matthew. And I think the next theme we're going to enter into in this text is the theme of time. If you look, the word beget speaks to the passing of time. In verse 17, Matthew brings our attention to this theme, breaking out the people or the history of God's people into these periods of time. And what I think he's trying to point us to, as he will show us again throughout his book, is that Christmas affirms that God is sovereign. God has designed history. He has shaped history around the birth of Jesus. So the question for us this morning is not, does God have control? The question for us this morning is, why can I have confident, resting faith in God's control? And I think I have three answers for you this morning. Number one, I can have confident, resting faith in God's control because, number one, God is all that I am not. God is all that I am not. In Exodus, we find Moses asking God a question. Who do I say has sent me? And God says to him, tell them, I am has sent you. And throughout the history of God's people, and we see it represented here in this genealogy, God will remind his people of his name. Every time distress, every time there was fear, every time there was need, God would say, I am. I am the one who can change you. I am the one who's always around. I'm the one who can get you home. I'm the one who can provide. Every time there was this moment of panic, God tried to bring the people back to his name. For all they could not do, for all they could not be, they are reminded that they had the great I am. Now I want you to just think about a few of the things that we see bring our attention to here in this genealogy. For example, think of Ruth. We meet Ruth. We really meet her after her husband has died. When we mention David in this genealogy, we find out that he has a child by someone who used to be another man's wife. And we get the mentioning here of being carried away to Babylon, the curse of God for generations of sinful living. But we also find Ruth getting a second life. We find David given the chance to repent and is forgiven. The people who were taken away end up being brought back. And so through all the ups and downs, they arrive at each one of those moments because God is, I am. And if you follow the timeline given to us by Matthew, you see all of these ups and downs. If you know your your Sunday school stories, several of these names would remind you of, of difficult moments. And some of these names would remind you of wonderful moments. But the apex of this reality, this up and down, is not just that we arrive at the birth of Jesus. It's that when we get there, it's I am himself in the stable. God doesn't use his control or his authority. He doesn't send someone else. He doesn't bring about another circumstance. He comes himself. 
Now, few of you have had a pretty up and down year. In fact, a couple of our families had a matter of seven days from great sorrow to great rejoicing. And the Christmas season can often exaggerate these ups and downs. You get the up of thinking, I have found the absolute perfect gift. And then they open it, and it's a dud. You get the height of, of making that first Christmas phone call and making the plans, and we're like, oh, right, we're going to do this, and you hang up the phone, and then somebody shows up for the Christmas party in a bad mood. Up and down. You see, the sovereignty of God is not just something for election seasons. It's not just for times of difficulty. God's sovereignty means that he is all that we cannot be. He is always able to do what we cannot do. He's always the I am. The I am. I can heal the hurts. I can help you change. I can enter your loneliness. I can get you back from feeling lost. I can provide when you can't work it out. I can defend you when you feel defeated. He is sovereign. All of the ups and downs in the world don't change that truth. And it means I'm never, ever going to be in a place where his I am-ness cannot overcome my am not. His strength for my weakness, contentment in poverty and in plenty. And so the Holy Spirit draws our attention to this genealogy because what we don't want to miss is that we see all of God's I am-ness in Jesus. We see him calm the storm. And he shows that he is the one who is able to rescue when there's no hope. He walks on water. He cures the blind. He raises the dead. And he's so sovereign, he's able to solve our biggest problem, our sin. So the I am is born and lived and died. Because he, he had to do what we could not do for ourselves. He is all that we are not. That is why I can have a resting, confident faith in his control. Number two this morning, why can I have that? Because God designs in everything he does. God designs in everything he does. Now there's a lot of scholarship uh, conversations over why Matthew breaks everything down the way he does. Specifically in verse 17, when he breaks it all down into these 14 generations. Now, one of the things that's actually going on here, and without getting too much into the detail, is he's using a poetical structure. For example, the, uh, the name David in the Hebrew has a, a numerical equivalence of 14. And so this is kind of a poetic way of saying that Jesus is the son of David. We also know that Matthew forms this in a mnemonic structure, meaning to break down the history into three sections, 14 generations apart, is about helping the reader to be reminded of all the things that have happened that are represented in the text. But whether it's just a poetic idea or this teaching device that he uses, all of it's intended to point to design. And we have to understand from the Christian worldview, design is not a small thing. You see, the non-Christian world for generations after generations has always believed that life results from chaos. 
that it came about by accident. And if there are gods involved, the pagan gods, they only get involved if they want to, and whatever happens is really based on how they feel on that particular day. And so what genealogy, what Matthew lays out here, is saying this guy was born at this time on purpose according to design. This happened at this time according to God's Design. So a genealogy like Matthew lays out here is really an immediate challenge to the pagan worldview. But we also have to recognize that design would have been very important for the early Jewish readers, the ones who would make up most of the early church. Seeing design leading to Jesus was an integral part of making messianic claims. Well-known Jewish converts like Marvin Rosenthal have mentioned that this genealogy played a huge part in persuading them that Jesus was the Messiah because of all the design. And so one of the things we pull from this is that Matthew's showing us that God does not react. He designs. Later, the Bible is going to say, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. Another way of saying, at the right time. So if anybody ever asks you the question, why was Jesus born 2,000 years ago instead of 200 years ago or two years ago? Wouldn't it have been great if Jesus had been born and CNN had been there to cover it? Well, the Bible says, no, 2,000 years ago was the right time. It was the designed time. And you go through this, this genealogy and you see the Bible, that, that there's design in the calling of Abraham, design in the anointing of David. Design and the raising up of Ezra and Nehemiah as they came home from Babylon. And you see how God is shaping and designing history. And it leads all the way to the nativity scene. And it comes out of the nativity scene all the way to the cross. Now, whenever we get to the topic of God's design, it always brings about a different feeling in everyone. Maybe this Christmas... As I mentioned, God's shaping and designing, it brings a smile to your face. You look at your spouse, your children, and you're thankful for God's design, for the design that brought them into your life. Or maybe if I mention God's design, you smile because of the many times you can think of that you should be dead. Or the, the many times you made a decision that should have ruined your life. Or perhaps this Christmas, the mention that God has control or God's design makes you sad. Maybe this Christmas you go into the year losing, having lost someone who was pretty great. And so this design perhaps brings you to a place of sadness. Or perhaps for others, it brings up complicated and painful emotions. The idea makes you want to cry or maybe shout. It brings to mind someone who might have abused their place in your life or, or perhaps a, an event that caused a great deal of difficulty in your life. Or perhaps the fact that God designs brings you to a place of confusion. I never thought my life would end up here. I don't know what's going on. My life is not what I think it should be. You see, the sovereign design of God is really not meant to answer every question for the current state of our life. 
The Bible's been pretty open about the fact that every time that God does give an answer as to why this happened this way, the people of God had a tendency to worship the answer rather than the God of the answer. No, you see, the sovereignty, the design of God is supposed to make sure that we know that God is not whimsical. That there is nothing that is meaningless or random or without wise purpose. The Bible tells us even the evil that is perpetuated against us, somehow God's going to redeem it and it's going to become part of why we worship him for all of eternity. Or the image the Bible uses is one of a woman giving birth. There's labor, pain, agony. But then what is born takes away that memory. And all you're left with is the simple rejoicing. Of course, the great example is the life of Jesus. He puts on flesh, walks in our suffering, dies for our sins. And so we see all this design and a design that leads to the new birth for all those who put their faith in him. And so we say, I can have confidence in God's control because God designs in everything he does. But then number three, why can I have resting, confident faith in God's control? Number three, because God is God. One of the things that's clearly on Matthew's mind as he goes through his gospel is the realities of rulers. The Bible tells us, for example, that Abraham was a man of significant portion when he was called to the promised land. David, of course, became a king. Babylon is a nation whose rulers would play a large part in Israel's history. And then after this genealogy, all of a sudden these wise men, these kings, show up. And we have the record of of King Herod's murders of the innocent. And as we've talked about in Matthew in our yearly study, he keeps coming back to this idea of authority. And so once again, as we look through this list of names, we find different moments of God showing his authority. For example, his authority over nature. God would would bring about thunderstorms and he would bring about rain at the right time to help Israel win certain battles. And we go through this and we think about how Abraham's flock and the flock of his descendants would often multiply when it had no business doing so. Or we see God's authority, the big idea being God's authority over the nations. Because we read our Old Testament and we watch one nation rise and another nation fall. We watch as God's people defeat nations they had no business defeating. We see God diminish nations like Egypt when God's people were tempted to run to them for help. We watch God bring nations down who were economic powerhouses. And we see God bring them defeat when they were the most ready for battle. And we watch this play out in the nation of Israel. For example, think of of, uh, King Asa mentioned in verse 7. Here's a man who watched God rescue him multiple times when the nation was threatened by other nations. God's sovereignty was the only reason he won several of those battles. But then later in his life, he no longer sought God's help. He thought he was the one in control. And God brought him down by taking away his ability to walk. 
We go back to Psalm 2 and the question the Bible asks, why do the unbelieving rulers of the world, why do they continue to plot? Why do they rage? Why do they lash out with, at God? Because in the end, his power and authority is going to override all of them because God is God. Now, in the book of Isaiah, God will say this several times. I am the Lord. There's no one like me. To say God is God is to say that God is complex. He's profound. He's complete. He's final. The Bible makes very clear, for example, that God has no counselor, meaning there's nobody around who's going to teach God a thing or two. Jesus tells us, for example, not to be repetitive in our prayers because we're not going to manipulate God. We're warned in the New Testament not to take God's commands and twist them to make them say something they're not supposed to because God doesn't share his throne. When God tells his people that his ways are not our ways... He's saying he's not driven by the same things we are. He thinks to love when we would hate. He shows mercy when we would pour out wrath. Again, the Bible teaches us the fact that God is God means he has control over nature, over history, over life, over death, and more. And when the Bible teaches us that God is God, he's saying that God has authority over all things. What God commands, that's what the creatures must do. And this authority goes all through our life. And the Bible teaches us the fact that God is God means that he's always present. It means that we encounter God's control. We encounter his authority in all of our experiences. And the Bible says because God is sovereign, it means that no human is ever going to escape his judgment. But it also means that no child of his can escape his love. So what does all that have to do with Christmas? The God of the universe uses his sovereign control to make a way for sinners to become saints. He uses his authority, his sovereign authority to declare those saints, those people who put their faith in Christ. And he does this. He he turns these sinners into saints by using his sovereign authority presence. For the one who can speak the galaxies into existence became a baby who couldn't speak at all. God is God means that Christmas can't be ruined. Because what God did in the first Christmas by sending his son, it can't be taken away, it can't be given away, it can't be lost. So the little markers, the reminders of the passing of time all through this genealogy point to, to a God who is sovereign. A God in control. And so why can I have this resting, confident faith in that control? Because he is the I am. Over and over again, he shows why he chose this name. For all the times the people were not, he says, I am. And I can have this confidence because God is always designing. He's not whimsical. Nothing is meaningless or random or without wise purpose. And it means that what God does is beautiful, complex, and oftentimes mysterious. And we can be confident because God is God. He has no teacher. He does not share his throne. He cannot be manipulated. And he took all of that sovereignty, all that authority, all of that control, And he came as a baby so that sinners could become saints. The fact that God is God means it's always Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, 
I thank you for the fact that we are reminded of your sovereignty as we watch the history of your people unfold in this genealogy. To be reminded of you being the great I am, your designs being always good, and the ultimate fact that you are God. And how you use who you are to save us. I thank you for this truth, and I pray, Father, we would go forth with resting, confident faith in your control. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.